This morning we have the privilege of having Rob Evans with us. Now, Rob and his, his wife, Laura, they are from Brush Prairie. In fact, when Julie and I first came to the church 14 years ago, we met this couple that was helping with the with the student ministry, the youth ministry, the high school students, and, and they, they got to talking with us, and they said, we're going to be missionaries. They were sharing that with us because we had just come from the mission field in South Africa to come here to Brush Prairie, and they were so excited. We, when you going? We don't know. Where are you going? Well, we don't know, but we're going to be missionaries. God has put that on our hearts, and we walked through that with them over the next several years, and the Lord led them to WEC International and Overseas Mission Fellowship, and uh, initially they left Brush Prairie, I don't know how many years ago now, to serve the Lord in Mexico for about six years. Six years, yeah. Six years, and uh, then uh, they were requested by their mission to leave the Mexico field in order to, to, uh, for Rob to take charge of the finances for the U.S. sending base. And that means they are, they are involved in the uh, sending of how many missionaries worldwide there out of that are, office? Out of that office? Or, or rather, how many supported? How many are you helping to keep on the field? Uh, 600 members. 600 members are helped kept on the field by the stuff that Rob gets right day by day. That's a big deal. It's behind the scenes, and it's a huge deal behind the scenes. So we are delighted to support this family. And a unique thing, I'll tell you now because I might forget later, this is a unique experience having a missionary in church because on the table in the foyer, now don't rush out right now, but on the table in the foyer, there's a whole bunch of money from various countries. And this is a unique occasion where rather than asking for the church to give money to the missionary, the missionary has come and he's giving money to you in the church. Take one of those coins or one of the bills as well. Yeah. The bills or the coins. So paper money or coin money. The coins are nice to keep in your pocket. And when you do, Think of praying for the gospel in that country. So that's what they're there for. Please take them and please, please pray for the ministry. Rob, we are delighted to have you share the word this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good morning. Good morning. I, um, I told the earlier service about how nervous I was uh, coming up and feeling kind of unprepared. And, uh, and everybody was telling me that I'm going to be just fine. So I'll be okay. I don't know how you'll do, but I'll be okay. <laughs> but I just wanted to thank all of you uh, for your prayers, your encouragement, and your support these last 11 years. That's when we started this training and this journey. And, uh, and just we really appreciate it. You know, we, we think of you as family. Uh, we were here at the church, like Bob said. Pastor Bob had said that, uh, you know, we knew he had been on the field for, what, 12 years, and, and just being able to talk to him, and, and, and he's been a real encouragement as well, and we appreciate that. So both on the foreign field, when we were in Mexico, as well as on the home field, uh, we have been involved in more administrative, more of a support-type roles. And when you're doing a, the, the admin or the support-type role, it's more behind the scenes, more of a service, and it's necessary, but one trap that you can fall into, that I've fallen into, is you begin to devalue, uh, devalue what you do, thinking, oh, anybody could do this, you know, I'm not really, not really doing missions, I'm not out on the field preaching and evangelizing, I'm here, you know, crunching numbers, working on spreadsheets, and, and it's just really easy to think, you know, my role, my job is kind of insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And 
you know, it can also be kind of discontent in, in that situation. And I was wondering, you know, any of you can relate to that, maybe, maybe not on, in ministry or as a, as a pastor or missionary, but maybe at home or work, you, uh, you, you have a, a coworker or uh, somebody that's, that's, uh, that's kind of at the face of your project at work, and they get all the credit for all the work you've done as a team because they're the face. That's the role that they have. Uh, or maybe you're, you know, you're uh, at home, you're an at-home mom, and, and your husband's doing a job out in the world, and he's getting all this credit for what he's done. And so it can be easy just to think about, well, you know, yeah, I'm just, a, I'm just this, or I, I'm just that. And, and it's easy to just devalue devalue what you do. And so I wanted to share with you a psalm that has been an encouragement to me. Uh, it's helped to give me perspective, and it gives me a perspective about where God has placed me and how he has graciously placed me where he, ha- where he is, where he has, a, has me be. So, uh, has me be. Uh, if you could open up your Bibles to Psalm 84, and if you have a Bible that's there in your seat because you, you didn't bring a Bible and you'd rather look at something on paper instead of your phone, it would be on page 493. And I know that we read this in the call to worship, but I just wanted to, to, to read a few select verses in this psalm. We won't read through it all over again. But this psalm is about journeying to the temple, probably one of the annual feasts. There were three, the all the males would have to journey to Jerusalem and some from a decent enough distance and just talking about that journey and it starts out with how how they're longing there's this desire God is desirable to them and God is desirable and you can read when they first start this out how lovely is your dwelling place O Lord of hosts my soul longs yes faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And then again in verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. The colorful language that they put forth in composing this psalm of just how desirable God is to them. Maybe, maybe you can relate to this. Uh, maybe there's somebody that, that you haven't seen in a long time, somebody dear to you, Maybe a friend, maybe a relative, maybe somebody that has passed away that you're looking forward to see in heaven. And you're longing to be reunited with them, to reconnect with them. And you can, you can kind of get a small idea of what it's like to, to long for the Lord through that. Now, I want you to imagine, uh, imagine a scenario here that that you have uh, publicly offended and insulted uh, somebody, maybe a supervisor at work. And, you know, maybe it just wasn't you. You were caught up in the heat of the moment. Uh, it was a group of you. And you went to them, and you just, in front of everybody, you insulted them. You offended them because of something that they did that you thought was unfair. You didn't agree with it, and somebody needed to say something, and you were in the heat of the moment. You said it, and as you finished saying it, 
as, as the words were leaving your mouth, right behind your supervisor steps out your boss. And he says, uh, that was my decision, not his. And so, so what do you think he's going to do? You've just publicly insulted the person that he had to speak on his behalf to the, to the people. You're probably going to lose your job. Now, now, just imagine once more that you have a second mortgage. Maybe you have a lot of debt, consumer debt. You're living from month to month, and your son has a, an illness that if he doesn't get his medication, uh, it won't be long until he passes away. And maybe he's got to get insulin. Maybe he has diabetes. And work, there's not a lot of work in the area. Your work has your insurance. You lose your job. You've got all this debt. You're not going to be able to pay for insurance or pay for his medication. What are you going to do? What can you do? All you can do is just plead for mercy from your boss in this situation. And the psalmists, can, the psalmists who wrote and composed this psalm, they can relate to that. Okay, so one thing a, a lot of people don't realize is that the part where it talks about to the choir master in the very beginning, uh, it looks like it's above Psalm 1, that's actually part of the psalm, okay? And so it says, to the choir master according to the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And so the psalmists were the sons of Korah. Now, if you were there in that day, you would know the name Korah. And it would have been very famous, infamous. And it's not because of something great, something inspiring that they did. It's because what they did was very, very bad. Okay, this was a byword. This was a, a curse. And so... You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you this story, but before I tell you this story, I just want you to remember that this, is, was, this was in a time they had just come out of Egypt. Um, they were there in the desert, wandering in the desert, about to enter into the promised land. Uh, and and Jesus, Jesus had not been sent yet. Jesus had not atoned uh, for the sins, so there were the priests, of course. Uh, one thing you need to know about God is that God is holy, okay? And what holy means is that he's set apart, he's pure, uh, no sin, without sin, and he's just. And in order to be in the Lord's presence, remember Jesus hadn't come. So in order to be in the Lord's presence, you had to be set apart. You had to be consecrated. If you were to go in the, in the Lord's presence and hadn't been prepared like the priests had been, it would be like, you know how, the, how light pierces through the darkness and how fire uh, melts away the impurities of metal? You would be like the impurities. You would be like the darkness. You would not be able to withstand the presence of the Lord. And so God gave Moses to give Aaron... <laughs> to give the people specific instructions and, and also instructions not only for how the priests needed to be consecrated, set apart, made holy to be able to serve the Lord in this way so that they could you know, serve him and not be decimated, uh, but also they gave specific instructions to the people. God had brought them out to be his holy nation, to be his holy people. He says, I am holy, 
Therefore, you need to be holy. So he gave them specific instructions on the way that they should live their lives in a manner that reflects his holy character. But man's nature, unlike God's nature of holiness, man's nature is selfish, sinful. Uh, I'm very selfish, and I like to be comfortable, right? Who doesn't like to be comfortable? I like my little world, my little environment. I want to be in control. If somebody else does something, it may annoy me, or maybe I'll think, oh, no. No, that's not going to happen. I, I want to be in control of the situation. And, and that's kind of a selfish looking out for me. Also, as a man, I want to be respected. And that's, I think that's pretty common among men. They want to be respected. And so envy, if, if you're not being respected, you see someone else maybe being respected, and you can start to envy that, the respect that they get and you're not getting, the envy can lead to, uh, it can lead to self-pity or it can lead to anger and frustration and maybe even rebellion against that individual. And so this is where Korah, remember they're the sons of Korah, this is their ancestor Korah, this byword because of what he did. This is where Korah found himself back then. Uh, God had delivered, God had just delivered Israel out of Egypt through these awesome miracles, okay? They had turned the rivers into blood. They had parted the Red Seas, uh, the Red Sea. And they had done all these miracles, these miraculous things. And they, they, here's Korah, and he's watching this happen along with all the other people, and he's seeing, you know, this in his mind, this elevation of Moses and Aaron. You know, Moses was God's spokesman, God's prophet, and in a sense, Aaron was Moses' prophet because Moses didn't feel comfortable about speaking. And so God said, how about your brother Aaron? And so Aaron would speak what Moses told him God had told Moses, okay? So they saw all of this being done by Moses and Aaron. Now, one other thing about Aaron is that after they got into the, out, of, out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness into the desert, God was showing them the proper way to the specific instructions that I was mentioning that needed to be done and, and worshiping and remembering the Lord, to remember the Lord in those ways. And so Aaron and his sons were set apart they were to be set apart and made holy by being consecrated and cleansed so that they can be the priests. Priests were the mediators, okay, between a holy God and sinful man, all right? And so as the priests, they were, giving, they were given these priestly garments, and they were, they were made to be for glory and for beauty, and they were to be for dignity, that kind of a thing. And so they had these... They had these jewels on the front, all these precious jewels. They had, they had turbans on their head, and on the turban, they had a gold plate crown. They called it a holy crown. It says, holy to the Lord. And so here's Aaron and his sons, and they have this plate that says, holy to the Lord. They're wearing this very fancy garment. They've just been even elevated even more, right? 
And, and so Korah is, just to give you a little bit more perspective here, how Korah might be thinking, Korah and Moses and Aaron, they have the same grandfather, okay? They're cousins. They're first cousins. They're from the same tribe. They're, they're, they're from Levi as well. And so he's seeing this, that his cousins are being elevated in this way. Well, he's not. What makes them so special? Why are they so special? And he sees the respect that they're getting and the dignity that they're getting, and he begins to get envious. He's discontent with what his role is, and he's becoming envious of what they have. And his envy ends up being anger. It doesn't become self-pity. In his case, it becomes anger. And he's going to do something about it. And so um, one other thing I had had skipped over. (laughs) Um, There there was one thing I wanted to mention. They were going out of Egypt. Uh, They were going into a promised land, okay? Now, the Levites were one of 12 tribes, and the Levites were the only of the ones of the tribes that were not going to be allotted a portion of the land. This great, wonderful land that was going to be in there, they weren't allotted a portion because they were there to assist the priests at the temple. And so they were kind of scattered throughout. And, and so, yeah, they're going to go, they've come out of Egypt, but they're not even going to get their own land. So they're there with their brothers that are the priests and, and their assistants, basically. So Aaron and his sons are from the tribe of Levi, and they've been given the priesthood. But the rest of the sons of Levi are just assistants. They're kind of the support staff. They're the muscle. Okay, they were given different duties. There were three sons of Levi, uh, the sons of Kohath, the sons of Merari, and the sons of Gershon. And each one of them were given specific duties, and the, the duties that they were given was when the Lord's the Lord's presence was there, it would dwell over the temple, and when he moved, they were to move in the wilderness. Okay, so they've got this tent where the Lord meets, and oh, okay, he's going to move. So this, this clan of Levi, you carry these things. They have to take down the, the, maybe the wall and carry them to the next place. And this other clan over here, they, they need to take down the, the curtain of the tent and these types of things and take them down and carry them off. Well, the sons of Kohath, what their duties were is they handled the holy objects in the sanctuary, the furnishings. So as they were about to move, um, the sons of Aaron were the only ones that could do the sacrifices. They were the only ones that could look onto the ark. They were the only ones that could look at the altar of, present of, of incense. So they covered them. There were instructions for them to cover these items before they got moved. But in Korah's mind, he's thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm just about a priest. You know, why can't I look at these things? This is maybe what's going on in his mind. And, uh, and another, another thing that they do, they had camped around the, this tent that was out there. They had all of Israel camping around it. But God didn't want those that were not consecrated, set apart, to be entering the sanctuary and to be tempted to enter the sanctuary. So what he did is he stationed each of those three clans of the Levites around the altar, and I think in front it must have been where the priests were, but they didn't want them to be tempted, the other Israelite tribes, to be tempted to go into the the sanctuary, or else God's wrath would pour out, because they weren't consecrated, they weren't set apart in that way, 
And so on the south side of the tabernacle was where Kohath, the Kohathites were, and that's where Korah was. And he was, there were other tribes next to him. The tribe right next to him was the tribe of Reuben. And I do just want to give you a little perspective on Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn, but he didn't have the birthright anymore. It got taken away from him because he had slept with his, his father's wife's concubine, Rachel's, Rachel's servant. And so he, the, the birthright was taken away. And then the next two in line, that was Levi and Simeon. And they were the ones, their, their sister, their full-blood sister, uh, Dinah, she was raped in the surrounding area by somebody. And so they wanted to defend her honor, and they went out and they killed every male in that city. And, and Jacob said to him, who was later called Israel, he said, you have, made, you have made us a stench to the people around us. They could come up against us and overpower us. So they didn't get the birthright either. It fell to Judah, the fourthborn. Judah, Jesus is from the line of Judah, the kingly line. So you see Korah seeing his cousins getting this special treatment and respect, and they're already in the sanctuary, and he's right next to the Reubenites, who also probably they might be some of them thinking, you know, we should get more respect because really we were the firstborn. And you can kind of see misery loves company. You could see how they might rile one another up. And so Korah, who was the face of this rebellion, he, he partnered with uh, Dathan and Abiram, who were from the tribe of Reuben. And they got all the congregation of Israel riled up, and the people found 250 chiefs, uh, well-known men that they appointed to go with them and to confront Moses and Aaron. And you can, you, if you wanted to look at this later, this is in Numbers 16, by the way, this whole story. So Korah goes up with these men, and he said, you've gone far enough, Moses and Aaron. We're all holy, okay? Every single one of us. You know, why do you keep elevating yourself above, above us all? And so... So Moses, he, he knows the holiness of God, and he just falls on his face, okay? And, 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 and he becomes angry uh, as well. He says, you've gone too far. And tomorrow, bring 250 censers to burn incense, and, and I'll bring my censer, and Aaron will bring his censer. And let's see who the Lord chooses as holy. And so the next morning... You see Korah and the 250 and the whole congregation of Israel standing there behind him at the tent of meeting, at the entrance to the tent. And then you see above the tent the cloud coming down, and they all see the glory. They all see God's glory appearing to them. And God says to Moses and to Aaron, step aside. I am going to destroy all of them. But Moses, he interceded and he said, Lord, for one man's sin, will you destroy the entire congregation? Because it was Korah and his sin. He was the one that led this rebellion. It's because of what he did. And God relented. God listened to Moses and he relented. He said, okay, fine. Stand away from the tents 
from the dwelling places of these three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, because they were the ones that were really the ringleaders, specifically Korah. And he opened up the earth and swallowed their entire household. And fire came down from heaven and destroyed the 250 chiefs that were chosen by the people. This all happened in front of them. Talk about eyes to see and ears to hear. you think that they would learn, but no, the next morning, the next morning the whole congregation starts grumbling. And they come again to the entrance of the tent. And they said, you've killed the people of the Lord. And then again you see the cloud. They see the glory of the Lord appearing. And he says again to Moses and to Aaron, get aside. I am going to consume them in a moment. Well, what could Moses do? Korah was gone. It wasn't just Korah anymore. Okay? How's he going to intercede for this one guy when it's this whole congregation at this point? And so all that he could do was tell Aaron, he said, Aaron, quick, grab your censer, grab fire from the altar, and go, run, and make atonement for them. Burn incense and make atonement for them. So, so Aaron, as quickly as he can, he grabs his censer, and he puts fire from the altar, and he runs out, and he stands there between the living and the dead, it says, and he burns incense before the Lord, and the plague is stopped. So, discontentment. Okay? We need to learn from Korah's mistake. He was discontent. He was not happy with what God had given him to do. He wanted more. He wanted the priesthood. He wanted glory. He wanted respect for himself. Because of this one man's sin, about 15,000 of the congregation of Israel perished between those two days. Discontentment's like a cancer, and it spreads very quickly. So why, why would these psalmists aligned themselves with the name of Korah. The, the descendants of, why would they say we're the sons of Korah? Why not someone else? Korah's a bad name in Israel at that day. Because they wanted to remember. They wanted to identify that God was merciful. Okay? Korah's household was swallowed up. But later on you find out the line didn't die out his wives and his children, his little ones, but they, he, had, he must have had at least one other son that didn't follow in the rebellion. He had a different tent. He had left and cleft. You know, the Bible talked about leave and cleave to your wife. So he had a different dwelling area. Must have had a different dwelling area, and he didn't follow in the rebellion. So he was spared, okay? And actually, his line continued. They continued serving as the Levites, as assistants, and you hear about them in the Bible. You hear about the sons of Korah, the Korahites is what they called them. And they were assigned by King David and Samuel 
to be the gatekeepers around the temple. And uh, they were given that, that estimation, that trust of being these gatekeepers around the temple gates. They would open the doors in the morning, close the doors. They would guard them. And they were also made singers. They would sing. In fact, when David took the ark after it had been taken away by the Philistines and had been sitting somewhere for a while, um, he took that, when he took that back to, I guess it was Shiloh at the time because the temple hadn't been built, he led a procession, this big procession. At the head of the procession was of the line of Korah. It was, Eth, uh, it was uh, Haman, or Heman. And he was the lead singer. He was leading this, this musical procession. And so they were given honor in that way to be able to serve the Lord. And they were given glory in that way as well um, as they served the Lord and what they were doing. So the line didn't die out. It continued. And Samuel himself actually is from the line of Korah. You remember Samuel? Okay, Samuel, Samuel. What, Eli? It wasn't Eli. It was God talking to Samuel. And Samuel's the one, the same one that anointed King David, King Saul, King David. Uh, he was the king's seer in that way. And he was like, he was the Moses of his day. He was, he was the last, I guess, the last judge of Israel. And so, you know, if, if, if Korah had just been content, you know, he would have seen that, that glory or that respect that he was longing for someday down in his line. But it just wasn't at that time. So the idea here of this God is desirable, he is desirable to the sons of Korah because his holiness, his justice is mixed with mercy. And they see the mercy and the grace that he had on them. And they just rejoice. The closer we come to know the Lord, the more, the more that we're in his presence. And I don't just mean reading your Bible. I mean spending time with him and following what his word says. Uh, you just begin to, to see the presence of the Lord and you see your darkness and you just recognize how gracious and merciful he really is. Okay. Um, Let's read verse 10 together. This is another one that I really want to highlight because this is, this is something that has given me encouragement. Verse 10 in Psalm 84 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The sons of Korah found contentment. They found joy in what they did. It says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Now, the idea, again, this is, this, is, this is Israel coming, the people of Israel coming for this annual festival, most likely. But the sons of Korah kind of give their own personal touch. They were the gatekeepers. They would open the doors in the morning and the evening. So for them, this is just their saying, this is where the Lord has me. Okay, and this is good. This is where God has me. And I'm happy with it. And I have joy in it because I get to serve the Lord. It's not about me. God is enough. It's not about me. It's all about him. God is enough for me. 
I don't have to be glorified. I get to be near the Lord. You know? And so they had really come to this perspective. And in, in my particular situation, as a support staff, it gives me encouragement and perspective so that I can then focus not on myself, but be grateful to the Lord for where he has me at this point in time. And I can strive to find joy in serving the Lord right where I'm at. You know, maybe you can relate a little bit. Maybe, maybe you are in a job that, that you don't feel like you're getting, you're not really doing, you don't feel like you're doing anything for the Lord. Maybe you were wanting to go on the mission field, but then you couldn't go on the mission field. And you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not doing enough. But God has you where he has you for a purpose, to give glory to him. It's not by accident. Even if you decided against what you thought he wanted in the past, you are where you are. And you can be a light where you are. You can still serve him. It may not be that, that it's as glorifying as you had thought it might be. But there is joy there. You can find joy there. I wanted to give you a couple of examples from the Bible. Uh, Peter, in Luke 5, talks about this story about how the Lord was ministering and, and he told Peter... He said, Peter, go into the deep water and cast your nets. And Peter said to the Lord, he said, we had fished all night long. We caught nothing. But because you said so, I'll do it. And so he went out and he started catching in such a load that his nets were starting to break apart. He had his partners, James and John, come along. And they had to as well help him and put in their nets. And both of their boats started to sink because the catch was so big. And Peter said to the Lord, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And the Lord said to him, from now on, you will be fishers of men. Follow me. And they left everything immediately and followed the Lord. Just the willing heart that he had, the Lord told him to do something, and it didn't make sense. It, why? But because you said it, Lord, I'll go. He had the right attitude. And, and whatever we're doing, wherever we are, to have that willingness to serve the Lord is what we need. And there's another, there's another example in Luke 8 about this demoniac. Uh, they had crossed the sea from a long day of ministry. And on the other side of the sea... As they landed, there was this man that was possessed by a number of demons. And he had been, he was out of his mind. And the Lord said to, they, they said to the Lord, because he was there, I guess, trying to talk to these demons to come out of him. And they said, have you come to torture us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And, and the Lord said, what's your name? He said, uh, he said, uh, <laughs> for we are many. What is it? Legion. For we are many. And, and they asked for mercy to be sent in these pigs and cast over the edge. And, and the Lord did. He, he let them go into the pigs. 
Uh, the pig shouldn't have been there anyways, right? It's Israel. No pork. So uh, he cast these demons out of this man, and this man with Jesus and his disciples, they were there sitting in the, in the, in the main area of the city as they're about to leave, and they all saw this man, and he was in his right mind, and fear gripped their hearts because they knew about him. How could he be healed? How could, how could these demons have ever come out of him? Who is this man that could, have, that could have done this? And so they said, Lord, go away from us. And as the Lord was going, this man that had just been healed, he had been healed of the demons. Like he'd been, all the demons had gone out of him. He was in his right mind again. And he wanted to follow the Lord, the one who saved him. He said, Lord, let me come with you. He pleaded with the Lord. And he said, no. I need you to stay here. And um, you need to tell what I did for you. And so the man stayed and he told what the Lord did for him. And so, you know, I just encourage all of you, whatever situation you're in, you know, share about the Lord. Be content. He may want you in that spot for a reason that you think, well, it's not enough. I'm not doing anything good. But he has a purpose and a plan. But let's read verses 11 to 12. As we end this, they end this psalm in this tone. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And so I encourage you to delight in God. It's all about God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. And be content serving the Lord right where you are. You know, have joy. Find the joy in that, just like the sons of Korah did. That's my encouragement to you. So if we could close in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we do just thank you and we praise you for your great love and your great mercy, for your justice, for not leaving the guilty unpunished, but because you have mercy in there. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to be an atonement for us and, and to just save us from our sinfulness, Lord. We thank you for that. God, I pray that you would bless everyone this week, uh, speak to their hearts, give them encouragement, and help them to find joy where you have them, Lord. Give them that peace and joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.